Twisted, the podcast for people who really fancy a good story. I'm Emily. And I'm Rebecca. And this week, you are listening to our spooky season episode. (laughs) So, we're going to run things a little bit differently this week. (laughs) Yeah. Emily, do you want to explain how it's going to go? Yes. So, it's going to be structured slightly differently today. So, I'm going to do my infatuation, which is very Halloween-y based. And then we're going to have a big chat and answer some spooky questions <laughs> and then Rebecca is going to follow things up with her Guy Fox night infatuation. Yes because we both love spooky season but for very different reasons. Very different holidays. <laughs> but before we you know dive into the world of shadows and autumn leaves and pumpkin spice and shit like that mm-hmm. do you have any highlights from the week? I do have a highlight. My highlight is that I started a TikTok this week. Exciting. <laughs> Because I've been watching a bunch of book talkers, as they're called, and I thought it looked like fun, and so I started my own, and so basically I just had like another avenue to bombard people with my thoughts about books. Yeah. But like in a really condensed way with like cool music, which is the bit that takes me the longest is to pick like a 30 seconds clip of music. But yeah, it's just a bit of like fun for me, to be honest, making content that is like meant to be light-hearted and throwaway, but it's still like creative for me yeah. to do. Um, I mean it has been quite interesting to observe <laughs> when I've seen you make it. It takes me a long time. Behind the scenes of TikTok is outstanding. Yeah and I, I should say I don't have like my face in it and do like weird lip sync and stuff because it's not that kind of TikTok. It's just me holding books. <laughs> I love that. I love that we for so long like, so Emily's sister told us that we were too old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just believed that. I just took it to heart and I was like, okay, fine. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've aged out. Emily's like, nah. Well, there's I, books. Well, I found a bunch of like PhD people on there. Yeah. So I was like, well, they must be the same age as me. So <laughs> I'm just going to do it. I love it. But yeah, so it's just like a wee bit of fun. I don't know how long it'll last. Probably until I run out of my first lot of ideas but it's fun at the moment good so what is your highlight of the week well i have a couple of highlights this yes. week we got to see one of our best friends hamza for oh the yeah time oh. In forever <laughs> sorry hamza that was also a highlight of my week i just no but i feel i've not really done like anything yeah <laughs> yeah so i was like what have i actually done this week went outside in the world and saw hamza mm-hmm. so that was nice and i got another little bit of writing news which is that i'm gonna get another poem published Yay. in the november issue of the rally which i just wanted to shout out because it's a really cool online magazine that i came across not long ago and it's run by two women in london and it's got all these cool articles like it's got pop culture and lifestyle and creative stuff and one of the co-editors, Charlie Bruff, is a poet and she writes very clever and cutting poetry. So I'm very excited about this. Because it's one thing to like be published, which I'm still not used to and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm getting published. <laughs> but also like when it's someone that you personally have admired and then yeah. they like your stuff. It's just a nice yeah. thing. Also just the fact like that's your second thing now. So it's like you've yeah. It's not, it wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't just a fluke, I have two things. Also, it was really weird because it's like literally the quickest that a poem has ever come out of my body. I wrote it on Tuesday. <laughs> I sent it on Tuesday night and on Friday she was like, yeah, let's publish it. And I'm just like, what? 
Yeah, that's so cool. So <laughs> yeah, I like I we all go on about all the time about how writing's like a craft and everything takes ages, but like the blessed moment is mm. when it actually doesn't. You're like, <laughs> that just happened. That was magical. Oh. I wish it would be that easy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> Emily, gothic queen, Mm. my freaky little friend, Mm -hmm. haunted and haunting housemate, (laughs) the eve of Hallows is upon us and no one thrives quite as much as you do. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you take it away? Okay, so before I reveal what book I picked, I just want to explain my thought process here. Okay. So as I'm sure you guys all know by now, I study gothic literature so, no, shut up. <laughs> I know. So obviously, I read about a lot of creepy stuff all the time. So picking a favourite scary story for Halloween is a very difficult decision for me. Mm-hmm. And I was staring at my bookshelf for days, <laughs> just like, <laughs> what one do I do? I don't know. So what I decided to do is I put all the novels aside and I've gone back to a book I've had since I was a child, which is Ghostly Tales and Sinister Stories of Old Edinburgh by Alan J. Wilson, Des Brogan and Frank McGrail. Oh, oh my god, that cover's so creepy. Yes. So these writers, they like compiled all these stories, which are stories that they tell on Mercat tours in Edinburgh, so you know, like the ghost walks mm. and stuff you can go on. Or at least they did when this book came out in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think like looking at the reprints of this edition and trying to think back on like when I was in Edinburgh, I think I probably got this when I was around 10. Okay. And I got it at the Edinburgh Dungeons gift shop. Yes. Which I think, I think is that is where I found it because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know where else I would have got this. But yeah, all I know is I got it at a really young age. I read it loads, like cover to cover so many times. And I don't know why people are surprised when I say I literally study haunted houses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway... This is a book of real stories. So, like, yeah, some are ghost stories, witch stories, and can obviously be, like, contested. Mm -hmm. But they are events that did happen, if that makes sense. There are also some true crime ones in there. So, for example, Burke and Hare are in this. For any international Mm -hmm. listeners, Burke and Hare were body snatchers turned murderers who would sell bodies to the anatomy professor, Dr. Robert Knox. They're very fascinating but obviously horrific part of Scottish history and yeah I don't know if this book is still in print but if it is and you like spooky stories then I do recommend it because you do get to hear some creepy stuff while also learning about the history of Edinburgh yeah which is cool that is cool Um, I've never done any of the like Edinburgh dungeons or like ghost walks or anything so I'm very excited I've not done any ghost walks in Edinburgh but I have done the dungeons multiple times (laughs) because they they change it up yeah but yeah, I really want to go and do the vaults tour, like mm. go underground and all the crypts and stuff. That'll be so cool. <laughs> You're such a wee gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't argue that. So anyway, this episode isn't really going to be like an analysis of stuff. Instead, I'm just going to like read out some of my favourites because there's not really much to analyse. Settle in. <laughs> I'm getting comfy. Let me tell you some ghostly tales and sinister stories of old edinburgh this first one is a short one it's definitely a creepy one to start with though it's called coffins on arthur's seat 
So Arthur's seat is the big hill, which looks over Edinburgh, for anyone who doesn't know. Edinburgh's the capital city of Scotland, (laughs) for anyone who doesn't know. On a glorious summer afternoon in 1836, five young Edinburgh lads were chasing rabbits on Arthur's seat. To make their hunt easier, one of the boys had taken along his dog. Out of sight for a moment, they chased after the pet and found it scratching in the earth. The lads went to investigate and discovered not a rabbit hole, but what looked like the entrance to a tiny cave. Scraping away the earth around the hole, one of the boys put his head inside to see how large it was and quickly drew it out again. The hole was full of... dot dot dot... coffins. (laughs) Plucking up the courage, all five entered. They counted 17 coffins arranged in three tiers. Each one was only four inches long and, apart from the lids, made out of single pieces of wood. The lids were fixed on by two brass pins. The sides were decorated with tiny tin decorations. Foolishly, the boys began to throw the coffins at each other and some of them broke. Next day, they gave the rest to their teacher, who was a member of the local archaeological society. The schoolmaster, of course, was curious to find out the nature of their contents. He prized one open and found a small figure inside, carved in perfect detail. Each of the other coffins contained the same bizarre contents. Everyone in Edinburgh got to hear of the story. Endless discussions were held as to the origins of the coffins. Even the Times of London devoted a column to the story, but no solution was uncovered. Some of the coffins may still be seen in the Royal Museum of Scotland, Queen Street. That's weird. I know. Like a carved figure, so not like a dead person. Yeah, well, they're they're four inches long. Oh, I don't like that. Mm Mm-hmm. True story. (laughs) The more you know. (laughs) So this one is more of a true crime story and it gives us a little look into 18th century prisons and it's called The Escape of James Hay. Oh, I've heard of this bugger. Have you? Yeah, I know who he is. I know him well. (laughs) You know him well. One of the most remarkable escapes from the Tolbooth Jail occurred in 1783. James Hay, a lad of 18, was the son of a stabler in the grass market. In November of that year, he was a captive in the prison under the sentence of death for robbery. Some days before the execution, young Hay was visited by his father, who came to console his unhappy son. As night closed in, the visitors to the various felons were compelled to depart. Old Hay, however, invited the keeper of the inner key to partake in some of the liquor he had secreted about his person. The turnkey agreed with the unfortunate consequence that by ten o'clock, the hour for finally locking the gates, he was rather tipsy. Father Hay, seeing that the bottle he had brought was now consumed, suggested to the jailer that, as they were now just beginning to enjoy themselves, would it not be a good idea if another was procured? Hay, in fact, suggested that the gatekeeper was the very man to perform this task. The turnkey consented and staggered down the turnpike stair, neglecting to lock the inner door behind him. As had been plotted, young James followed close behind. But just as the prisoner was about to spring into the street a free man, the outer warden closed the outer door, locking it securely. At that dread moment, old Hay put his head to the great window of the hall and issued the widely known command of the time, Turn your hand, the cry which brought the outer turnkey to the door to unlock the external gate. Mechanically, the man obeyed, the young offender sprang out, and while the turnkey and old Hay jovially discussed the excellent quality of the rum, Hay fled at great speed down Beeswind till he reached the high walls of Greyfriars Churchyard. Scaling them with remarkable agility, he entered the cemetery according to the pre-arranged plan. 
James had been provided with a key for the long-unused mausoleum of Sir George Mackenzie. This gloomy domed edifice was a place full of terror to old and young alike, but especially to boys of George Heriot school. It was supposed to be haunted by the blood-red spirit of Mackenzie the persecutor. This is where he intended to hide. On the 24th of November 1783 there appeared in the Edinburgh Advertiser, escaped from the tollbooth of Edinburgh, James Hay, indicted for highway robbery aged about 18 years by trade a glazier, 5 feet 10 inches high, slender male, pale complexion, long visage, brown hair cut short, pitted a little in the face with the smallpox, speaks slow with a har in his tone and has a mole on one of his cheeks. The magistrates offer a reward of 20 guineas to any person who will apprehend and secure the said James Hay to be paid by the city chamberlain on the said James Hay being recommitted to the Tolbooth of the city. That James Hay had been a heriotier brought up in the hospital school which adjoins the ancient burial ground. Thus, he contrived to make known his plight to some of his erstwhile schoolboy friends and besought them to assist him in his distress. It was impossible for his father to do so. A very clannish spirit existed among the old heriotiers in these days, and not to give secure to an old comrade, no matter how undeserving, would have been deemed a crime of the foulest nature. Thus Hay's school chums supplied all his wants and needs from their own meals, carrying food to the eerie hiding place at dead of night, risking severe punishment, not to mention encounters with spectral beings in the graveyard. This mission lasted for six weeks until the hue and cry abated and he left the tomb and escaped out of Edinburgh and beyond the reach of the law. That's so cool. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> I wonder how I've heard of him. I wonder if it was that story. Maybe. But it's so cool. Yeah. I thought he just hides in a mausoleum yeah. for six weeks. <laughs> I have often thought this though, like see when I go in my little spooky walks down the house mm-hmm. and there's like that one grave that is a kind of mausoleum. Yeah. Like, it's a little one. I do sometimes think like, be a good hiding place if you really had to yeah. hide. Well apparently it would be. Because apparently it would be, yeah. But it would be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so this is another short one, but I love how dark a turn <laughs> it takes. It is called The Ghost Room. Brunsfield House, ancient, massive, sombre, with small windows, crow-stepped gables and a high-sloping roof, has frowned over the bar mirror for centuries. Among its great architectural qualities, Brunsfield House had a mystery chamber. Long known as the Ghost Room, it was discovered in 1820 when Sir George Warrender came into possession of the mansion. Frederick Richard Lee, the painter and academian who Sir George brought from London to examine the house, suspected the existence of a secret room through finding more windows outside than he could account for rooms inside. (laughs) An old woman who had charge of the house at first denied any knowledge of an unknown apartment. But frightened by Sir George's threats, she finally revealed a narrow entrance to the room hidden by a piece of tapestry. The door was forced, the room was found just as it had been left by some former occupant, the ashes still in the grate. The dimly lit room was strewn with neat branches, but that was not all. Amid these were found three skeletons, one in the middle of the room, another in front of the fireplace, and the third crouching near the windows. Bloodstains were found all over the floor and four rusty swords discovered scattered around the room pointed to a desperate encounter and the escape of one of the contestants. It is said that a dreadful fight had taken place between the three sons of the Brands of Brunsfield and a young gentleman called Mowbray of Barnvigal. 
This latter gentleman, though small in stature, was a fearful antagonist to face with a sword. Thus the three skeletons belonged to the three unfortunate brothers whom he must have picked off one by one. I have to say, like, the sword fight is gruesome, but the creepiest bit of that is the, like, too many windows, yeah. not enough doors. And it's hidden behind a tapestry. Like, that's straight out of a gothic novel. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. It is so good. <laughs> I also like that it had a straightforward answer at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this isn't some, like, post, oh, what do you call them? Like, you know the John Dunn and all that that got all a bit mystic? The metaphysical. Like, oh, this yeah. This isn't some post-metaphysical, like, <laughs> yeah. terror. This is just, like, this room is not what we want. Yeah. So we're just going to shut all that away. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Good old Scottish repression. <laughs> this is another short one that's actually quite funny. It's a dark kind of humour, but it mm. is funny. And it is called Saved by the Snatchers. <laughs> okay. The body of a wealthy woman was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyards one day around the beginning of the last century. The newly dug grave was duly visited by that educationally motivated band of men, the body snatchers. Excavating at speed as they always did, their eyes were soon dazzled by the sight of a number of valuable rings on the woman's hand. A small saw was taken from their indispensable bag of tools. The act of severing the fingers began. To their horror, the dead woman sat up in her coffin and let out shrieks of pain which echoed as far as Candlemaker Row. The sacrilegious pair took to their heels and fled. It appears that the old woman had been buried in a trance, an occurrence said to be common at a time when doctor's certificates of death were not the essentials they are now. The old woman survived. What? (laughs) I love that. Oh, that's so good. I also love, like... Obviously, there's stories like that from all around the world, but if anyone's ever met, like, a Scottish granny, you can just believe that. You can (laughs) just believe that, like, old women were so hardcore that they'd just be, like, buried alive, still not dead. (laughs) Don't take my fucking rings. I love that it describes body snatchers as being, like, educationally motivated. motivated. (laughs) Not wrong. (laughs) I love the um, first line of that haunted house one, that last one, the ghost room. Like... I can't remember what it was, but... Oh, Brunsfield House, ancient, massive, sombre, with small windows, cross-stepped gables, and a high-sloping roof has frowned over the borough muir for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Frowned. Frowned. good. Mm. Okay, so this is my last story. I saved what I think is the creepiest story till last, and I think the editors agree with me because it is also the last story in the book. Okay. It's a wee bit longer, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Yeah, go for it. And this is simply called Number 17. A hundred years ago, there lived a character in the vicinity of the Royal Botanic Gardens. Many strange stories of this man were passed around by the gossips of the area. There must have been something odd about him. Handsome and well-built, living alone in a ten-roomed house with never a collar at the door. Only twice a week did a charwoman bring him his provisions and attend to all his needs. After he died, and the coffin removed to an unknown destination by an unknown firm of undertakers, the aged charwoman was seen to snib all the windows and to lock and double both the front and back doors. For years the house remained thus, empty and neglected. Years passed and stories began to circulate. The house at number 17 was no longer empty. No occupants were ever seen, but noises were heard by the respectable inhabitants of number 16 and number 18. Around midnight, the sound of voices would be heard coming through the walls, voices of young ladies and the deeper tones of males. Yet no one was ever seen, nor any light shone through a window. 
For a time there was much talk of the house being haunted, but nothing further happened, and for a generation at least, the ghostly incident was forgotten. New residents moved into number 16 and number 18, but throughout all this time, number 17 stood empty and desolate. That is until the early years of the Great War. The house then became a scene of great activity. Regiments of slaters, masons, plumbers, painters and joiners restored the house to its former glory. No one knew who sold the house, but it was soon widely known that an English couple had bought it and that they intended to run it as a boarding house. As a boarding house all seemed to be going well, till first one, then a second, mysterious incident took place. The first was when a chambermaid heard voices coming from one of the attic bedrooms. Knocking at the door, she entered the room to draw the curtains and to turn down the bed, but found that no one was in the room. The second incident was almost identical. Another chambermaid heard voices coming from the same room and on entering found it unoccupied, but declared that she felt there was someone standing behind her in the room. The proprietor decided to leave the room unlit for the time being. Unfortunately, some students at the university got to hear about it and showed rather a morbid interest. By midwinter, the proprietor was forced to let the mysterious room to a young married couple, as all the other rooms were occupied. Of course, they were told nothing of the voices, but of course they heard them. Believing that the room must have been wrongly allocated, they rang the bell on the landing to summon someone to put matters to rights. It was an elderly woman, Mary Brewster, who came in response to the bell. Almost as soon as she entered the room, she shrieked in terror. The housekeeper came bounding up the stairs, not stopping to say anything to the young couple. Entering the attic, the housekeeper saw Mary Brewster rigid, clutching the brass rail of the bed, gazing upwards. Her expression was that of a person who had lost all reason. She had, and was never known to speak again. No other soul knew what or whom she had seen. In Edinburgh, news travels fast, and soon this incident came to the ears of the students. They approached the boarding house owner and asked if they could lay the ghost. Among the students was one who was studying divinity and who treated the matter with great seriousness. A thoughtful and popular young man, he and the boarding house owner agreed to a plan of action. The student, Andrew Muir, was to obtain two handbells that were able to give clear, penetrating and resounding peals. At 10pm, he and his bells were to enter the unfriendly room, as it was now called. In the room directly below, the owner was to wait. If Andrew Muir saw anything unusual, he was to give a short, sharp ring on the smaller, high-toned bell. If he was in serious danger and wished assistance, he was to ring the bigger, deeper-toned bell. This was the plan. At the appointed time, the two men parted. For a matter of ten minutes, there was no noise. Suddenly, the sound of the higher-toned bell rang out. Then immediately after boomed the deeper tone of the larger bell. The owner raced up the stairs and flung open the door of the attic. By the dim light of the paraffin table lamp, a grim sight met his gaze. Slumped in the chair was the powerful figure of Andrew Muir and on his face what could only be described as a look of dread and horror. The young student had been frightened to death and with added horror, the second bell was heard to sound once more as it fell to the floor from the dead man's hand. What Andrew Muir and Mary Brewster saw has never been known. The ill-fated boarding house at number 17 ceased to exist. A changed man, the owner, retired. Again, the doors and shutters were closed and never again was the house occupied. Today, nothing remains of number 17, the whole street having been demolished, taking with it any chance of resolving this most sinister mystery. Oh, 
gives me the shivers that one i yeah what happened what did they see i I don't (laughs) like it because it like one person like losing their shit in a creepy room fine yeah two people losing their shit in a creepy room well one person dying yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that concludes story time (laughs) but yeah that's good there are over a hundred stories in that book so if it's still in print i'll have a wee look and see if it is yeah it's it's a really good one but i just picked out my favorite ones that weren't too lengthy yeah Um, well they were so good thank you you're welcome hope you guys enjoyed so now we just have a bunch of questions to answer so you can learn some stuff about us i guess oh this is exciting so some are very halloweeny and then some go a bit more like autumn and rebecca has no idea what the questions are no nope, rebecca is entirely <laughs> yeah. unprepared although i've not like prepared my answers either so. okay just pick the question yeah cool okay so no number one favorite horror or gothic novel Oh, this is hard. I don't think I have an answer for this. I haven't but. read as many as you, so it's probably yeah. easier for me. Yeah. But like, it's a toss up for me because probably my favorite like one for creepiness and mm. scariness would be either Dracula or Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. Mm-hmm. But my favorite gothic novel, like capital letters, yeah, is The Picture of Dorian Gray. I do love Dorian Gray, but I just love everything that Oscar Wilde writes. Yeah, so. same. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's just so many. <laughs> if you just could see my bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, honest to God. There is a lot of black on our bookshelf. <laughs> Seeing as I, I wrote horror or gothic, I think I'll maybe just go for gothic and say Jane Eyre because mm-hmm. it's just like the epitome of a gothic novel. It wasn't the first one or anything like that, but I think it's like the best example of a gothic novel. The pinnacle of gothic novels. Yeah, so we'll go for Jane Eyre. Fair play. Favourite horror film? I know you don't love horror. I don't even know if this counts because it is kind of black comedy. Yeah. But The Voices? Oh yeah, with Ryan I like Reynolds. Voice. Yeah, I like The Voices. I love that film. It's so weird. It's so <laughs> Do you know what really freaks me out is like the, the cat being Glaswegian. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> It brings it a wee bit too close to home, and it's so sinister. Yeah, no, that is a very good... That That's horror. Yeah, that's yeah. horror. I'd probably say Scream. Oh, yeah. You love a bit of Scream. Yeah, I love the meta <laughs> nature of Scream. It's just so good. Nice. Favourite spooky film? So, like, oh. not necessarily scary. I feel like there is one that I'm forgetting. Give me a minute. Maybe Coraline? That's one of mine. Yeah, I'll go with Coraline. I'm going to say The Corpse Bride. Ah. Because I know that off by heart. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, we did watch The Corpse Bride. I watched it for the first time not long ago mm-hmm. with Emily. And it slaps. It's really it's good. It's very good. I feel like it's very underrated because The Nightmare Before Christmas is like huge. Yeah. But that's what I, feel, I, I never see people talking about The Corpse Bride, but I think it's better. I liked it better than I liked The Nightmare Before yeah. Christmas. Also, like, if we're, like, this is my favourite Christmas film, but it is spooky too, is, like, Edward Scissorhands. Ooh, It's, like, yeah. one of my all-time favourite films ever. Yeah. So yeah, I love that as I'm well. I'm gonna throw that one in there too. Favourite villain? So it could be a book or a film. Oh my god. <laughs> I actually don't know what my answer is. Um, That's overwhelming. I know. 
I don't know if it's like my all-time favourite villain or anything, but a very good villain in that I hate her <laughs> is your woman from Misery. Oh, um, Annie Wilkes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, she is horrible. And I'm not in a, like, my favourite villain because secretly you like them kind of way, mm. but just like a really well-done villain where I, like, I'm terrified of her and I hate her. Yeah. <laughs> that That is a good one, actually. I'm struggling with this one. Because there's loads of, like, villains that you love to hate, right? Yeah. Like Hades and Hercules. Like Hades and Hercules. Great villain. He's a wonderful villain. Can I spoil Scream? Has it I've been out long enough? I've seen most of it with you, like, bits of it anyway. Can so. I spoil it to listeners, though, do you think? Yeah, I, I think the Statue of Limitations is up on screen. Okay, I'm going to spoil Scream. I'll just, I won't say their names, I'll do it that way. I like the the two guys that end up being Ghostface mm. just because the first time you watch that film you're like how is one person doing this turns out it's two mm. and I also like that one is clearly the ringleader and one is just going along with it mm. and I don't know I just think they did it quite well I suppose now if you're watching Scream it can seem a bit cliche but I think you have to remember when you're watching it that that's the point and also they came before all the other yeah modern horror films definitely <laughs> so yeah maybe also the like cult in midsummer is very creepy villain <laughs> yeah just cults in general yeah, are cults quite are creepy. Really creepy do you know who's my favorite like long-running antagonist was like so i watched the mentalist which is a proper old lady mm. true well not true crime like crime drama mm. show but the the like serial killer red john in that because you never like the whole point is they don't know who he is, mm. and he leaves this like really creepy mark everywhere. Mm. And like he was just he was just a good villain. Yeah, do you know what I mean. Like it was an exciting villain. That has just reminded me in Psych, which mm. came before the Mentalist. Yes. <laughs> there's villains Yin and Yang, and they are very creepy. Yeah, because they like play with Sean and his family and like mm. leave little. Clues yeah, that's like, like the same as Red John. Yeah, it's a rip off of Psych. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Favorite hero slash heroine in like a horror setting. Okay. I really liked. Oh, what was her name? The main character in Mexican Gothic. Oh yeah. I forgot what her name was. I can remember her cousin's name was Catalina. Oh, Naomi. Mm. Yeah, she was really cool because she was like. She was badass, but, like, she was in the 50s, so there was only so much power that she had. Mm. But she was very glamorous, but then she was, like, determined to get her cousin out of that house. I feel like she was a really cool yeah. heroine. Also Buffy, just because... Just because Buffy. It's Buffy, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Mina Harker. <gasps> yeah, I do I like Mina. I love Mina Harker. I love how she's, like so wifey like she's so just devoted to Jonathan and she is like your perfect little wife but then as soon as you know Dracula gets all up in her business and like (laughs) starts trying to take over Lucy she's like nah not having this yeah and just like springs into action (laughs) like goes like makes all these journeys and like oh Mm -hmm. she's just so cool yeah I do like me now and I like that she believes Jonathan as well Mm -hmm. like because I feel like there could have been a really easy way to make a trope of like She's really devoted to him, but she thinks he's mental. Mm-hmm. You know that would. Yeah. I feel like that's the way it would play out with a modern writer. Yeah, but I like that in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mina's just like, oh, you say this guy is like some weird supernatural thing. Yep. Okay. Cool. I'm on board <laughs> because I believe you because I love you. So let's yeah. let's fight him. 
Okay, we're on to not necessarily like book and film stuff now. Okay. Favourite Halloween sweetie? Ooh. To be honest, I just liked when you'd go to a random house trick-or-treating and they'd give you like a full-size chocolate bar. That just made my day. I, I remember I once got a full-size Twix. Oof. I think I once got a Kit Kat Chunky and I was like, you oh. people must have money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I like... What was the wee things? They they had the little cartoon character on them. Like, it wasn't Taz, but it was the other one. Chomps. Oh, You know, the little tiny chomps yeah. that you used to get? I don't like... I didn't like them when they were full size. But yeah. the little tiny snack size ones? Mm, they were good. Yeah. And I only ever ate them at Halloween. Yeah, I'm not like a sweeties... Like, I like chocolate, but I'm not like a sweetie person. But the one sweets that I do like are Love Hearts. So mm. I was liked when I got love hearts when I went trick or treating. Parma violets too. Mm. I enjoyed getting parma because they don't taste good. They just they're just like sour. Yeah, it's just a weird taste. Yeah. But again, I was only really allowed stuff like that after Hall- trick or treating. Yeah. So. Yeah. What is your favorite Halloween tradition? I think when I was younger, we used to do like duking for apples. Yes. Yeah, and that was like my favorite because it's just so ridiculous. I only liked doing it. The one where you would do it with a fork, so you uh, would like hover over it and you'd have to drop the fork. fork. I hated putting my face in the water because half the time I had makeup on, mm. and I'm like, God, why, why have you made me get ready for to two hours, this. and now I'm yeah. going to stick my head in water? I did the fork one <laughs> when I was really little because I like didn't like putting my face in water in general. Yeah. But like once I got older, I just like sussed. I was like, I'm not going to do my makeup. I'm going to do this first. Yeah. And I, there's something just so satisfying about like plunging your face know, into yeah. a basin and just getting an apple. I also quite liked the one. Did you ever do the one where you had like a ring donut on a string, on a string. and you had to like try and eat it? Yeah. I liked that one just because you got to eat donuts. Yeah. So. I do. It does freak me out when I think about like as a like as an older person now, like being at kids' Halloween parties. I just think about the sacrifices that that parent, whoever's house you were at, had to make <laughs> yeah. by getting like sugar from a ring donut all over their floor. Yeah. And just... I'm pretty sure my family would put the newspaper down. I think that the people, like, we never did that in my house, but I went to other parties that yeah. did it. And I, I think they did that, but still, like, big props to those parents. Yeah. I miss, I remember when I was still quite young, my whole family would do a party all together, it's like all ten of us. I remember my auntie would make witch's potion drinks, which was Sprite, Mm -hmm. with green food colouring in it, and then you put, you know those little tiny chocolate buttons you get? Yeah. You put those in it, and the bubbles make them bob up and down, so it looks like a potion. That's so cute. I know. I still have a very specific memory of that drink. Your best Halloween costume. Oh, I've had a few good Halloween costumes. Yeah, I have as well. When I was five, I was in primary one, I won the costume competition at my school disco. (laughs) Because my mum made me a lion costume out of my nana's old fur coat. Oh, that's so cool. Um, And it was pretty dope, but I was roasting. (laughs) But I'm trying to think. I'll try and think of a later costume that I did that I made. See, I haven't dressed up very recently, but I remember all my ones when I was a kid, and my best one was 100% my Mona the Vampire costume. Oh, I can see it. Yeah. So I had, like, my mum and my gran made it, and I had, like, the cape with, like, the flowers on the bottom, and they made me a headband with 
pipe cleaners that looked mm. like her plates that stuck up. Oh, that was my favourite costume. I would dress up in that now. Yeah, you would suit being another <laughs> vampire now. I think I did one. It was I don't even think it was for Halloween though. But we did. We used to do this thing at my school that was like a fun run. All right, it was yeah. like fancy dress, and it was always near Halloween. So. Yeah. And one year for that, I did like a Alice in Wonderland type costume, mm-hmm. and I just made it out of clothes that I had. But like, it looked really good. You know that way where you don't expect it to like yeah. look as like the thing as it does. Yeah, I was so proud of it. So maybe that's my best costume. <laughs> if we did a joint costume, what would it be? Oh, <laughs> so many options. I know. The aunties from Mamma Mia. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> we need a Donna though. Do we not? I don't know. I suppose you'd get away with just the, the aunties, couldn't you? I feel like if there was a group, that would yeah. be a good, like, everyone to be Mamma Mia characters. That yeah. would work. To be fair, I don't know how I'd be Auntie Tanya because I'm not tall enough. But I feel like you're short enough that the height <laughs> difference would be. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you could just wear really big heels and I just won't wear heels. Yeah. <laughs> But I feel like our energies could carry that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What other ones would we do? What what did you think of? I know, I don't know. I remember for, like, a while you were saying you wanted people to go as ears of Taylor Swift's, like, albums. And I would have done that to amuse you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the love that we share. Um, I think that ship has sailed. There's not enough of the girls that are left in Dundee now. I know. Also, I'm not blonde anymore. No, it would have worked when you were blonde. Yeah. I don't know. The Mamma Mia one is a good one, to be fair. <laughs> we could always go as... We would have to get wigs and stuff, but you did compare us to the sisters from Practical Magic. Mm. I would buy a ginger wig for that. That would be fun, actually. <laughs> I would enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. A costume you've always wanted to do. I know mine, and I've never done it because it's just too hard. It would be so much effort. So I'd want to have like a really good party mm. to go to but I always want to do Emily from the corpse bride uh, like to just be the corpse bride yeah but you have to paint yourself blue you have to have a wedding dress mm. that you ruin <laughs> I just feel like I could only do that if it was some big like yeah fancy, like dress, big party. fancy dress party not just like someone's house mm-hmm. I'm trying to think I know that there is ones but yeah. my mind's gone blank I also want to do Sabrina from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You would want that <laughs> so much. Also because I feel like I can probably find stuff in my wardrobe that actually is her clothes. Yeah. So I wouldn't even need to buy anything. I just need to buy a blonde wig because yeah. I'm not blonde anymore. <laughs> I think, weirdly, my one also involves being painted blue and having a kind of wedding dress. But I always wanted to be Smurfette. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> but I was just like, I can't, because I because in theory it's quite easy, right? Because I've got blonde hair, and you could just wear a white dress, yeah, and that's it. But you'd have but to paint yourself blue, and blue. I'm just like, it's yeah. too much effort. I remember when Suicide Squad came out, and me and my ex were still together. We were going to do Harley Quinn and the Joker mm-hmm. because I had my blonde hair at that point, and like he. If he had the makeup yeah, on, he would have looked quite looked like him. Like him. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so like gutted that we never got the opportunity <laughs> to, because I just feel like I don't even love Suicide Squad, but I just feel like the aesthetic, yeah, I, cool. I enjoyed, and that would have been cool. Plus, like I like Harley Quinn, yeah. like, and her costume specifically is quite fun. So I like the little daddy's little monster, monster top. Yeah. That would have been. Oh. That would have been cool. It would have been cool. I did. I am happy that before me and my ex broke up, we got to do my goal of Ron and Hermione. Oh yeah. Costume because 
when you have a ginger, <laughs> you have to make that shit happen. <laughs> yeah, so this question is the only one I prepped for, but okay. I don't think it's put me at like a massive advantage here. But it's your ultimate Halloween playlist. So like, mm. I said five songs, it's five? Do you think you can come up with five songs? <laughs> sure, I can come up with five songs. Cool. So I picked ones that, so I have a Halloween playlist. It's like four hours long. Naturally. And I have all the classics on there. I've got all the ones that you think of when you think Halloween. So the ones that I decided to like list today are ones that I don't think you immediately think mm. Halloween, but they're on my playlist. So one, best song McFly I've ever done, Transylvania. <laughs> it's so good. So good. A song called Vampire Smile by Kyla LaGrange. Uh, it's about a woman who's a vampire and she's like... I'm going to kill you and all your friends. Mm-hmm. Wicked Ones by Dorothy, which is just like, I feel, I don't know if it was, but it feels like the kind of song that was in like the Vampire Diaries or something, like a really like, right. badass scene. Okay. I don't know if it actually was, but like, it's that kind of vibe. Nearly Witches, Ever Since We Met by Panic at the Disco. It's like a love song, breakup song, but it's like in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And Run by The Main which is about like running away from demons. So it's probably a bit more metaphorical, <laughs> but it's on there. And it's on an album of theirs called Forever Halloween, uh-huh. which is a very good album. So those are my five that I decided to pick. Nice. Okay, well, I'm going to do it on the fly, obviously. Yes. But, um, Sorry, I probably should have prepped you for that one. I forgot about that that's one. That's okay. So the first one is going to be Halloween by Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I love it. I love the song anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so... There's a song called Wicked World, and I can't remember who sings it. <laughs> it's Laura Jansen. That's who I'm thinking of. Oh, Wicked World. Oh, yeah. She's a Nightmare by Honeyblood, which is just like really like dark and like rocky. And, like, cool, I don't think I know that one. Also, just Honeyblood is a cool name mm. for a band. Mm-hmm. Sounds quite Halloween-y. Right, that's three. Freak Show by Ingrid Michaelson. Mm. Again, kind of metaphorical, but mm-hmm. it's kind of old carnival-esque freak show vibes. Oh, My Boy Builds Coffins by Florence oh, and the Machine. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that one. I love that that song. That's good. And it is proper creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. There's a song which I can't put on the playlist because it's not on Spotify, but it's it's almost Halloween by Panic! at the Disco. It's like oh. a really, really, really old song. Okay. And it's on YouTube, but it's not on Spotify, but that's a very good song. Nice. Okay, next question... Have you ever used a Ouija board? Nah. I have not. Don't do it, guys. Because, like, best case scenario, it's like, it's fake. Worst case scenario, you, like, let a demon into your life. So, just don't do it. Yeah, I think it's just never really appealed to me. (laughs) I don't, I'm, yeah, I don't believe in ghosts. But I'm also like, well, if I don't believe in them, what am I hoping to gain? Yeah. And if they are real, (laughs) I'm so fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you had to spend the night in a haunted house, would you? Yes, in that, like, if the only reason that it was deemed unsafe was that it was haunted, yes. If it's, like, legit falling apart and, like, freezing cold and logistically unsafe, then no. Yeah. There's so many, like, haunted hotels that I want to stay in. Yeah, I would do that. I feel like when we eventually get to do our LA trip, Mm -hmm. which has been pushed back for, you know, many reasons... (laughs) One of them, a global pandemic, you know. Yeah. We should stay in, like, the Roseville or something. Because apparently you can see, like, Marilyn Monroe's ghost and stuff. 
Yeah, I'd be down for that. Yeah. You're in a horror movie. Are you the final girl, the first to die, the comic relief, the skeptic, the smart one, or the killer? Either the first to die or the skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I want to be the final girl, but I'm probably the smart one who ends up getting killed anyway. That's yeah. what I feel. Yeah, you probably are. I feel like I'm just like. Either... I'll be the. I'll, I'll work it out and mm. I'll be like, oh, I know who it is, and then they'll kill me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm like either too bravado where I'd be like, this is like because of my skepticism. I'd be like, this yeah. isn't real, charges and dies. Or yeah, later be like, nah, I still don't think this is real, even though it clearly is, and die. <laughs> so. What would your dream Halloween be? How would you like to spend Halloween? Imagine there wasn't a pandemic and you could do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I do really like dressing up. That's like, although I'm not a huge Halloween person, that's Mm -hmm. like my favourite bit. Yeah. So like, I do like a Halloween party. So probably like, someone magically has a really big house Mm -hmm. that they deck out all spooky and it's not me that has to host it and I go... (laughs) Yeah. to like a masquerade Halloween party That's cool. that would be cool as fuck I'd enjoy that that would be cool I would like to be either of these three places one Salem <laughs> <laughs> two York yeah. three Disneyland <laughs> I understand all of those they're on my bucket list I will do all three of those things at Halloween that is my life goal see I wasn't thinking about like geographically I was thinking about like what would I like to be doing yeah but yeah if I could be I want to be on a ghost tour on the 31st of October in those places well I don't think Disney does ghost tours but you know what I mean yeah just cut down Disneyland yeah that would be cool I think I'd enjoy that yeah but I would enjoy Disneyland just about any time Frankenstein or Dracula 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 (laughs) vampires or werewolves Hmm. <laughs> this feels like a very loaded question for our generation. We're not talking Edward or Jacob here. We're just talking yeah, creature. The creature. I don't know. I like. I'm inclined to say vampires because I like that they're all suave and stuff. But mm. I really like the interpretations of the werewolf myth, where it's like more feminized because yeah. of like the moon and stuff like that. I think yeah, that is yeah. really cool. So mm, I'll go with werewolves to be different. Yeah, I kind of agree. Mm, I just feel like there's cool... Like, if I think about characters that I like mm. in books and stuff, I probably prefer the vampires. Yeah. I haven't. I don't know that many werewolf characters, to be honest, but my yeah. favourite one that I've met is Lupin from Harry Potter. Yeah. And he's a sweetie. Yeah. I do like all the, like, the trope in, like, werewolf, like, films and books and stuff where it's, like... You know, they go missing and then mm. all this stuff happens and they're acting weird at this time of the month and like like I like all the build up to werewolves. Yeah. I think that's quite cool. What's the what's the film or whatever where the werewolf is the girl is Red Riding Hood? Was that in Once Upon a Time? I don't know. That was in something and it was cool. Anyway, it was like Oh what, yeah, no, it was I, think like it was, I think it was I think it was Once Upon a Time, yeah. Yeah. Um which I thought was a cool interpretation. Yeah, that is quite cool. Anyway. Your autumnal drink of choice. Well, my drink of choice all year round is autumnal. Because yeah. <laughs> I always get a cinnamon latte, even when it's summer. Yeah. So yeah, I'll just... But lately, weirdly, I've been getting iced ones, even though it's been getting colder. So, yeah, iced cinnamon latte. I'd say either a hot chocolate or a chai tea latte. Mm, there you go. Your favourite kind of fireworks. 
this is our last question oh i like i don't know the name of them but you know the ones that they go up and then they like they trickle down and they look like stars yeah i like those ones they yeah. go like Shh. yeah <laughs> i don't know what you mean great podcasting (laughs) i like the ones it might be the same ones but you know how you get like you have the big bang ones that are like all multicolored yeah and then you have the like ones that go even higher and they're always gold yes and they're like huge and it's almost like hair coming out yeah that wasn't the ones i was thinking but i do like those yeah those are probably like where you have to like crane your whole head back to look at them those are my favorite ones Nice. So those are all of my questions. Well, that was fun. <laughs> they were a bit random, but <laughs> I just wrote what came to my mind. So now it is time for your infatuation. What are you going to tell us about today? Okay, well, anyone who knows us in real life, as we've already covered, knows that you love Halloween, mm-hmm. and I like Halloween, but what I'm doing on Halloween is marking the calendar closer <laughs> to my favourite night, which yeah. is Guy Fox Night on November 5th. So, just for any non-UK listeners, Guy Fox Night, also known as Bonfire Night, is my favourite holiday because there is, as the name would suggest, a bonfire. There is also fireworks. So what happens on Bonfire Night is basically every town in the UK people will go and stand in a freezing cold field (laughs) when it gets dark and you'll like drink hot chocolate and you'll eat fish and chips and like sometimes there'll be like a local radio station that sets up a stage and they'll play some music and then at seven o'clock there will be a fireworks display and it'll go on for like 20 minutes during which time everyone just stands looking at it and like little kids will run about hitting each other with glow sticks and then it ends And then everyone gets stuck in the worst traffic jam of the year for like two hours trying to get home. And it's the fucking best. (laughs) So I'm just here to wax lyrical about Bonfire Night. That's that's all I'm doing today. (laughs) So I love it for a few reasons. And I feel like it gets lost in the rush of like, it's Halloween and then it's Christmas. Yeah. So I hope that this appreciation helps people to look at it in a new light. (laughs) So when you grow up here, you can't go out of childhood without encountering the nursery rhyme. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder treason and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. And I only ever knew that bit. Mm -hmm. But there is a whole... See, I feel like I knew there was a whole poem, but I don't think I've ever heard the whole poem. I knew there was a whole poem, but I, I never knew it. So I looked it up and the rest of it is... Guy Fox Guy, twas his intent to blow up King and Parliament. Three score barrels were laid below to prove old England's overthrow. By God's mercy he was catched with a darkened lantern and burning match. So holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. And what shall we do with him? Burn him. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's so dark. <laughs> And this kind of brings me to my first reason why I like Bonfire Night, and it's because the story is cool. So, the story of this rhyme is that it's some men who ostensibly were terrorists, right? Yes. Who had this notorious plot to blow up the Houses of Parliament and assassinate King James I in 1605. And it was foiled when the kegs of gunpowder were discovered underground because someone tipped them off with a letter to the police. Mm -hmm. Still don't know who it was. I enjoy that mystery. Mm. 
It was, as so much conflict in the UK has been, a Catholic versus Protestant thing. And the leader of these Catholic revolutionaries, Robert Catesby, was shot on sight. It wasn't Guy Fawkes that was the leader, it was him. But the others in the group were found and sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered. And one of them was the man who we attribute the gunpowder plot to, Guy Fawkes. So, after that, November 5th, which was the day after the discovery was made, became an annual day of celebration of quote-unquote English life (laughs) and the preservation of it, because it's such a great, not at all flawed way of life (laughs) that we have going on. And anyway, children would make dummies, known as guys, to represent Guy Fawkes, and then toss them on the bonfire in a very graphic karmic retribution. Mm -hmm. Side note, etymology moment. The word guys, as we know it, meaning a group of people or a group of men, is directly rooted to Guy Fawkes. That term was not used in that way before him, before the guy became synonymous with a faceless dummy. Before that, it was just a first name. Oh, I didn't know that. I love that. That is a ready-made metaphor right there. Guys. Yes. Ah! So you can can have guys as in, like, you know, like a costume. Yeah. Because, like, in Scotland's, going back to Halloween, like, you're trick-or-treating, you'd call it guising. Is that not from disguising, though? But Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, I feel like you can have, like, a... Oh, you you could have a whole, like, metaphor about... Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really fun to play with that word. But, yeah, I love... I love that. Anyway, a lot of people have an issue with Bonfire Night, rightly, because they think, is this holiday in good taste, though? Is it, like, what we're celebrating is the death of man who they called a terrorist, but maybe he was trying to overthrow an antiquated and oppressive power structure. (laughs) Like, it's quite prescient nowadays Mm. with the whole, like, BLM movement, and especially with figures like Nelson Mandela in recent history, that sometimes, quote-unquote, terrorism and revolution look the same. So the way it's initially conceived, I think that the concept of Guy Fawkes Night is quite gross. Like, it's an imperialistic system creating a national holiday to glorify the fact that the powers that be kept themselves intact, which is gross. But what I love about Bonfire Night is that because of the invention of fireworks, the displays we do now do the opposite. The displays that we do now, we don't really do the tossing a guy on a bonfire no. unless you're like right out in the sticks anymore. Yeah, That's no one really happen. does that. So it's not about punishing the so-called terrorists. It's not about burning the guys. It's all about the pyrotechnics. Explosions! <laughs> and fire! And so just through like the way that the aesthetics of it have changed, because fireworks are cool and fire is cool, what we've ended up doing every year, whether we've realised it or not, isn't reenacting the punishment of Guy Fawkes, it's reenacting his plot that yeah. never came to be. <laughs> Which is for sure accidental, but I find it really vindicating as what start like what started off as like an establishment sanctioned warning to revolutionaries about the power of the state has become a total aesthetic celebration of anarchy. Yeah. (laughs) That just brings me joy. Yeah. And so that brings me on to the other thing that I wanted to talk about, about Bonfire Night, is it chimes a lot with the film adaptation of V for Vendetta, which I watch every year on Bonfire Night, because it does frame the gunpowder plot in that kind of anarchist power move way, where the main character, V, is a sort of modern Guy Fawkes in a dystopian Britain. And this film is so anarchist that the anarchist collective Anonymous have adopted the masks worn by V (laughs) as their own masks. So, 
just do with that what you will. But something that V for Vendetta does too, as well as really politicising Bonfire Night, is to romanticise it. Because I would say that V for Vendetta is a romance before it's anything else. Mm. If anyone's not seen it or not read the comic, like just go experience it. I'm like I'm not gonna talk a lot about the plot and the spoilers and whatever, but just go watch it, it's so good. <laughs> the main character Evie and this mysterious man V have a deeply emotional romance and I want you to read out a bit of Evie's voiceover, which I think is really beautiful. She says, quoting the, the nursery rhyme. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. But what of the man? I know his name was Guy Fawkes, and I know that in 1605 he attempted to blow up the Houses of Parliament. But who was he really? What was he like? We're told to remember the idea, not the man, because a man can fail. He can be caught. He can be killed and forgotten, but 400 years later an idea can still change the world. I've witnessed firsthand the power of ideas. I've seen people kill in the name of them and die defending them. But you cannot kiss an idea, cannot touch it or hold it. Ideas do not bleed, they do not feel pain, they do not love. And it is not an idea that I miss, it is a man. A man that made me remember the 5th of November. A man that I will never forget. Oh. Which is just so lovely. Yeah. And that's the other half of why I love Bonfire Night, because even though it has all these cool ideological, like, twists and turns and, like, you can think about what it represents, I just think it's really fucking romantic. <laughs> like, go and stand in a field and it's all cold and you go with, like, your pals or your family or someone that you love and your breath's all coming out in wee clouds and you've got a wee paper cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> you know, everyone's looking up at the sky and it's all sparkly people are still going like, ooh and ah, about fireworks, even though they've been around for, like, ages now. Yeah. And, like, colours in the sky always make people happy, even if it's, like, northern lights or stars or whatever. People just love that. It's collective wonderment. (laughs) And the best bit about it is that all of that exists in spite of the fact that the whole performance is totally manufactured and man-made and tacky. Like, the fireworks display at bonfire night is one of those things like Disneyland mm. or even like makeup or like alcohol-free Prosecco <laughs> which still feels magical even though you know it's fake mm. while it's happening. Yeah, it is fake but it's thrilling anyway and I will die on that hill. It is a delightful occasion. There is glitter in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I also, I have a playlist of songs for Bonfire Night, so I am not going to read it out just now, but I will send it to you and you can share it on there. Yeah, perfect. Oh, that's fun. I have a Guy Fawkes story for you from my life. Yeah, go for it. So, I can't remember if it was primary school or secondary school, but me and my friend went to, like, a drama workshop. It was, like, a weekend-long thing. Okay. And we were reenacting, like, the gunpowder plot, Mm -hmm. but, like, we had to write the script and what we did and everything like we basically got told the story and we're like okay so now you have to write it so it's just a group of like I don't know probably like 10 year olds like writing the script and I still remember like bits of it it's very funny we did a bit where I'm trying to think who the characters would have been it must have been like the prime minister or Mm. something someone in power was would be like the front of the stage and they'd have all these, like, they'd just be having discussions, like, you couldn't hear them, but, like, yeah. you could see them. And then in the background, 
all the people who are part of the plot were like right at the back of the stage and like climbing as if they were like climbing through tunnels <laughs> un- underneath parliament to like lay the gunpowder down i still remember that that's so cool um, but yeah, that was a really uh, like I don't know why I did that because I was so not into drama. Hmm. I think maybe my mum was just like, "You need to go and do stuff, <laughs> do stuff," and like send me off with my friends <laughs> to go do it. But I still remember it. it was very fun, and then we had to like put the play on at like the end of the weekend. Oh, that's so cute. But yeah, I I don't have this isn't my story, but one of the best fireworks night stories that I've ever heard is my my friend Jenny. She was she was a teenager and she was sitting on a wall watching like the fireworks display. Mm-hmm. But it was like a really small local one. It wasn't like a big put on yeah. one. It was just like people in the village were doing a fireworks display and one of the fireworks went the wrong way and it hit her. Oh my god. And knocked her off the wall. Like it didn't <laughs> explode on her, it didn't burn her or anything. Yeah. But she's like it's really funny because she's one of the most fearless people that I know, but <laughs> rightly she is traumatised and yeah. really scared of fireworks. I do want to say as well that I know that it's a real nightmare for like people with animals and livestock and stuff like that. Mm. I know that. I recognise all these issues. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that fireworks night is a good idea. I'm just saying I really yeah. like it. Well, I think, and we are sort of going this way now, where like... People are going to the big displays, but mm. not doing it in their own gardens anymore, which yeah. I think is good. Because at least if it's organized, organized, then you're not endangering as many people. Mm-hmm. And also, like I know there'll still be animals nearby, but at least it's it's all in one, one time. area rather than yeah, and at one time rather than like in your next the next garden over or whatever. Definitely. Because yeah, I went to school with someone who got hit by a firework in the face. Oh dear. Uh, and he had to get like skin grafts and stuff and it's horrible. Oh, that and that's why you should not let children play with fireworks, which is what he did. You know what I think is one of the funniest things ever is when people do those sparkler photos but they'll do a prank so like they'll tell someone else that they're spelling a different word. Oh, and I've never seen that. That's oh, funny. So fun- like, it'll be like a family and they'll say that they're going to spell out like, I don't know, like heart or something like that yeah. but then they'll just end up spelling out like I don't know <laughs> I don't know, like some swear word with one of the letters <laughs> that's funny good times <laughs> I wonder I don't think there'll be a display this year no I don't think they like, are like rightly they, yeah there shouldn't be no I don't think they are sad. maybe I'll buy a sparkler <laughs> yeah just stand just in the stand car park <laughs> my little sparkler <laughs> that won't be sad at all <laughs> No, we'll just have to to stay in and watch V for Vendetta. Yeah. Which we'd have done anyway. We can stay in and watch some scary films. Yeah, I know. I think that is us for today. I think that is us. That was a fun little episode. That was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it being a little bit different. Yeah. And yeah, we'll go back to to normal programming <laughs> next time. We just thought we'd have a bit of fun with this one. But let I know I'm thinking way ahead here, but let us know what you think about like a Christmas episode. Should we do something like this again where we do like questions. something a bit different, yeah. like questions and stuff or do you just want us to find some Christmas books? <laughs> I'm sure we can find some. Yeah. Let us know. And yeah, if you have any comments or questions please email us at infatuatedpodcast at outlook.com we have social media which is linked below along with everything we talked about today so is the infatuated mix which is all the songs we mentioned and the ones we mentioned earlier will be on that 
And do we have anything else to no, say? No, I think that's everything. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye. Bye.